Night gathers, and now my rewatch begins. Welcome back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people who party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys, brought to you by Grand X Media. I'm Ross Bolin, here at the temporary home of Grand X Media, also known as uh, the pool house that producer Micah resides in here in Austin, Texas, with Barrett Dudley. You can call me Barrett Bannerman Dudley from now on, because I'm, I just want to sit there and hold the banner. You want to be a bannerman? I want to be a bannerman. All you got to do is sit there and hold the banner, and it's a great honor. You're susceptible to death, though. No, no, you don't even have to fight. I, I'm sorry, but if I see you holding the banner, I'm taking you out. <laughs> You're going down, arrow I think to the you chest. just get to stand in the back and hold up the flag. The thing is, people are spraying arrows everywhere, dude. That's true. You probably, <laughs> you probably get got real quick by an errant arrow. I'll be honest. I, I made a note to want to discuss this at length because I've always wondered about this type of thing. So when we get to that point in the episode, we'll go deep, you and I. Well, it starts off the episode, so let's let's take care of some housekeeping, and then we can chat about it. Fair enough. Uh, what do we got here? This is the Night's Rewatch. We're doing a podcast for every episode of Game of Thrones, starting with Season 1, Episode 1, leading up to the final season of our favorite show, so we can all be as prepared as possible. Take the black and join us. Help us with recruiting. Tell a co-worker, a friend, a family member who loves Game of Thrones that is looking for some time to kill before Season 8 to get in on this. You don't have to start over. If you don't want to, if you're late to the game, we'll take any and all the soldiers we can get. Hop in on the night's rewatch. Let's do this thing. Just jump in right here. This is where it's getting good, people. Take off your clothes and jump in the pile. Yeah, yeah. Eight six six four three clams is our hotline number. You can call with questions, takes, clam fam corrections on things that we we messed up. And we've got a special announcement next Tuesday, March twenty seventh. We will be recording. The hotline call only episode where we're just going to just bust through as many badass uh, hotline calls as we can. It's going to be our first week in the new office. And to celebrate, you're going to get two episodes next week. Boom. How, how much do we love you guys? The most. 866-43-CLAMS again is the hotline number. Now let's get into it. Season 3, episode 7, titled The Bear and the Maiden Fair. Written by George R. R. Martin himself and directed by our girl, Michelle McLaren. It starts off south of the wall with the wildlings, where uh, Tormund and his band of wildlings, including Jon Snow and Ygritte, are, you know, they've, they've climbed the wall, they've made it to the other side, there's like grass, it's green and shit, which is kind of, I mean, they really went out of their way to make you know, like, make sure you remember. South of the wall now. You're south. Yeah. Look at yeah. this greenery. Yeah. Ygritte uh, asks how far they are from Castle Black, and Jon says about a week? Damn, it's a long-ass time to walk. Yeah, the wall is super long, I guess. You know, I think my favorite thing about technological developments is that we don't have to walk everywhere anymore mm. or, like, ride horses. Mm-hmm, That's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or ride in a in a carriage. Yeah. You never think about that, how long it took to get places. Yeah, yeah, but I'll tell you what. You know, like, you 
we're really close to like a lot of the minority report type stuff you know like we are we've got stores now where you just walk in and it like knows what you want and then it's you like just, hello barrett yeah and you just walk out and you don't even have to take your credit card out because it just zaps it in your while it's in your wallet and pays for what you take you buy know? me yeah that's like but i really need i need the car tracks i need like the you know I yeah know, i know an autonomous vehicle just killed somebody in literally in today. arizona yeah <laughs> Which is su- which sucks, which sucks. It does, but suck. I'm really ready for just like just put these things on tracks. You know, I just want to I just want to scroll through Instagram while I'm riding in the whip. Why can't we just do tracks? Why didn't somebody answer that question? Yeah, yeah. What's up with that? I mean, you the, know, I'm guessing the expense of putting down the tracks. Hey, infrastructure, everywhere. man, it creates jobs. You got to spend money to make money. That is what they say. That is what they say. Everybody's been saying. I that. like. Uh, or I don't like how you can check yourself out at the Apple store. Mm. I always feel mm-hmm. like when I'm leaving, I'm going to get tased by a security <laughs> guard. You know what I mean? You can literally walk in, pick up a phone case, check out yourself on your phone, and walk out. I did not know that. Yeah, that's, it's that's, fuck, It's scary. All God, you got to have man. is the Apple app. Wow. What were we talking about? What is this, Game <laughs> of Thrones? They got to walk. I think, okay, you know, they're, they're obviously not just like cruising down the wall. Right? You know, like, that's, I, too, that's too obvious. So I, could, I couldn't get a feel for this. Right. Are they still up there? Or are they have they gone down the other side? Oh, they've gone down the other side. It's just weird that we're not just greenery up on the top of the that's wall. That's what I was very confused about. So they rappelled down the other side, I suppose, or took the. I, maybe there's, there's an elevator still there, staircase or something. Yeah, they got okay. down. Okay. And I think they're. I think what they're doing is they're making like a half moon shape. You know, they got to go south a little bit and then make their way. Mm. You know, because they can't just walk right down the wall. Yeah, that would be too. That's too. You fairly know, obvious. Yeah. They'd be like, hey, what? We see you coming. So they got to flank it. So they got to. That's why it's going to take so long. Probably. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Uh, Orel the Warg, which we haven't acknowledged. This it's the guy from Pirates of the Caribbean. He's one. He's the dude with one eye in Pirates. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. He's he's one of the goofy, funny. Yes, he's the comedic. Yes. Well, I guess the whole thing is comedic, yeah. but you know, he's the comedic relief in the comedic yeah, movie. He he and he and the other guy. Yeah, they're the idiots. Yeah, they're, they're the, the two bumbling idiots. The two stooges of pirate world. The, the parlay. Once. Yeah, they say parlay. Parlay. <laughs> yeah, that's you're you're right. That's yeah, great. Yeah, point. him and John have like this this what I would consider to be quite a solid standoff mm. regarding Egret, mm-hmm. and uh, and John's obviously upset about Orel cutting them loose during the climb. Yep, and yep. all that. Yep. Great standoff. We get a very uh, a very very good lip quiver, an angry lip quiver from John in this scene. I missed the quiver. They did they did well to uh, mm. become angry at each mm. other here. Anyway, over in Rob's camp, Cat refers to Walder Frey as prickly. Oh, we didn't talk about the banners. We didn't talk about the bannermen. I don't we, think it came up it. yet. Yeah, it did. It starts it off. John are you and sure? E- John and Egret are having conversation about the King's Road. About you know, oh you took you took your fancy roads, and then they're talking about the battle style too. Nah, son, that's later. Wait, no, it's not. It's right now. Yeah, it's right. Yeah, yeah. And he basically. basically oh, my fault. My fault. Basically, Egret. Basically, the conversation that they're having here is like, the wildlings are like are use guerrilla warfare. Basically. Yeah, they're they, not organized. They run up on your shit and they attack you. They don't. They don't bother with all this old school fighting style where two 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 teams line up on either sides of each other. Well, and bang drums and then and then say go. Yeah, yeah. You know, like they're not screwing with that. No. They play to win. They play for keeps. No, and, and you're right. That's my fault. Sorry. Uh, it, it's up front here. They're talking about... Egret wants to know what the deal is with these men holding banners in their wars and how the banner holders fight. Yeah. And John's like, oh, they don't. 
she's like, well, what about these dudes banging drums? He's like, oh, those are usually the young boys banging those drums. They don't fight either. It's a great honor. He's trying to explain all this. And I've always wondered, like, because I usually think of British, mm-hmm. you know, right, right, right. like the yep. Revolutionary War. Right. When I think right. of this style of fighting. You remember in the Patriot where Mel Gibson just sprints like 200 yards through an open battlefield with the American flag, like mm-hmm. while people are dying all over the place? Mm-hmm. It makes me think of that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, in, that's the style of fighting. In all seriousness, I, dude, you have to have giant testicles to be one of these banner holders because you got to maintain cool. You cannot, you absolutely cannot freak out and run the other way <laughs> because that's the worst look ever. Everyone's morale is distinguished. Dis- ist- Extinguished well, immediately. You can't, you can't. You don't want to fake a retreat either. If somebody sees you and they're like, "Oh shit, we're retreating," but you're not really retreating, or they're just like, "Fuck, we're getting our asses kicked." Let's bail. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you gotta. You gotta be. It's an important role, mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. left very susceptible to to getting a random arrow to the shoulder yeah. or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Which is, I don't know. You just props to the banner holders and you for some reason volunteering to be one. Maybe I want to be a drum boy instead. Because at, at least you're getting to do some movement, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh, banging yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, got to have rhythm though. But you've got rhythm. I, I've got I've decent rhythm. I'll I'll I can take care of a drum. Yeah, thanks for pulling us back to that. I uh, would have been very upset if we had <laughs> not acknowledged the bannermen of the world. That's right. That's right. Shouts to the, all the bannermen out there. But so into Catlin now, right? Yeah, they're they're Catlin discussing the they're discussing Walter Frey. Yeah, more. And she calls him prickly. The blackfish calls him the most unpleasant man he's ever met and says, quote, I've, I've seen wet shits I liked better than Walder Frey. Which, look, we already knew through all the different conversations that this guy sucks, mm-hmm. that he's very unpleasant. The most unpleasant man the blackfish has ever met, we now know. Uh, there's, the problem is there's this weather causing a rain delay for Rob and his camp getting to the Freys at the Twins for this... Edmure Tully mm-hmm. wedding to take place, and Cat is concerned this rain delay will be seen as a further slight mm-hmm. to Walder Frey. Catelyn is the only one here who is who is the right amount of nervous about this whole shebang. It honestly is a little bit weird watching this particular scene unfold with all the precedent we have for knowing how ornery Walder Frey can be. Mm-hmm. And Rob's just like, oh, it'll be fine, mother. We're going. He's getting the wedding he wanted. And she's like, no, he's not. Yeah. yeah. And Rob's like, yes, he is. It's the best wedding it's, he's ever right, had for his right. family. Yeah. Which is just, yeah, you can't. That's ignorant. That's, yeah. That's ignorant. That's ignorant. Yeah, cause you, because that's just, you know, he's, uh, that's also a slight. Being like, oh, this is the best, this is the best you've ever had, bitch. Like, take it. Take, you, you'll like, you'll take it and you'll like it because it's. You know, well, but yeah, but that wasn't the deal. So no, it wasn't the deal. And to pretend that like he owes you one still when you've right. already taken a yeah. step back from yeah. what he was originally promised is, yeah, cat is spot on here. We get a lovely Rob and Talisa sex scene, which serves to remind me that Rob is essentially a hobbit. <laughs> he's very small, like he's just a little package of a man, uh, and very furry. Mm, Her- a hairy mm. little man. He's a taut package, though. He is. He's lithe. I'd call him lithe. Lie. I like that word. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give him that. I'm not saying... At, yeah. least the, at least the guy is getting the good good here, you know? Oh, and he is. She's the good good. Yeah. By definition. <laughs> that is the good good. That's what you want. Uh, she naked writes a letter to her mom, which 
I've always preferred to write my letters in the nude. Mm-hmm. There's just something more personal yeah, yeah. about them when you write them that way. Yeah, I like to, well, especially in that exact manner, too, where you just where you get all naked and then you lay stomach down on the bed with your feet up in the air. Yeah, <laughs> and just, like, kicking your feet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she writes this letter in Valyrian. We learn that ga, G-A-A, ga. means yes, yes in Valyrian, which yes. kind of makes Valyrian just sound like baby language, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, then they have this conversation. Talisa expresses to Rob that she wants him to come with her to Volantis to meet her mother because she knows her mother would love to meet him and their grandchild. So Talisa is preggers. Yeah. Yeah. Rob yeah. has quickly knocked up his new wife. Yeah. And this this scene, the whole thing, what, you know, it, they're just like, they're really showing you I, I, how distracted Rob is, basically. And he even he even puts it into words you know he's like how am i supposed to be planning for this war when you're over there looking like that and it just kind of is like driving home that like this man's head is not in the right place to be winning any more wars no the exact line is quote how am i supposed to be over here playing war on this board while you're over there looking like a snack and she's like a snack or the whole meal and he's like that that was yeah that's the that's the the line yeah yeah, yeah, that's that's what I saw on the uh, on the closed captioning on the subtitles for sure. Snack time, you know. South of the wall with the wildlings, Tormund gives John this great motivational speech about how to make sex. Because uh, clearly, Tormund doesn't realize that you don't, John and Ygritte have already done it. They've made the love. Yes, yes, but this is sage wisdom from from Tormund, nonetheless. I will say. As disturbing as it may be to acknowledge, <laughs> this is a poetic description mm, he gives. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. It yeah. really is. Like somebody who writes for this show has had sex before. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. At I least one so. of them. Right. At least one writer. That's yeah. That's true. Which and I'll is, never. I'll never look at a baby seal the same again either. Nope. Nope. Really would be hard to do that. Uh, I will say this episode being written by George R. R. Martin makes it a little <laughs> funny to me because it's like. You know he's a bit of a pervert. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, he wrote these books. Yes. He yeah. made the story. Yes. And he made the baby seal comparison. Right. Right. Which puts you squarely in pervert territory, and mm. I respect that as a fellow pervert. Yeah. It's it's uh, like you said, it was quite poetic. It was. Orel the Warg Warg makes one last ditch effort to go after regret, and it's actually a pretty good run that he takes at her. And he ends it by saying, you won't love him so much when you find out what he really is. So, I, it, this scene in particular led me to believe, like, all right, does Orel have some other kind of sightseeing abilities outside of being able to warg into this bird that he is fond of? Because no, he like, seems you... to be very convinced about John's <clears throat> lack of full-blown... I just think I just think it's, it's I just, just obvious. Yeah, yeah. He's the only person who's not a moron in the <laughs> entire camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, anyway, yeah, he's upset that John, this outsider, this crow, is getting Egret, who is clearly the most desirable of the wildling women we have seen. Yeah, yeah. I, you, because I, I don't know if we've seen any others. I also think it's just like it's it's that it's kind of like what he said to John in the in the earlier scene where he's like. You know, she knows how this this all goes. She knows like right how we live. Yeah, and you don't. You don't get it, and yeah. that's why that's why this is not going to work out for you. That I think that's kind of where he's coming from. Yeah, it's funny because it's almost like a racial divide. Yeah, between kinda, yeah. the wildlings and normal totally. it's, people. It's a culture. Thing. Yeah, yeah, culture divide. 
uh, that apply. I mean, obviously, there's some of that, you know, right. in the real world. Right. Uh, in King's Landing, Sansa's crying to Marjorie because Littlefinger left her there, and she found out she she has to marry Tyrion instead of Loras, and she gets into this spiel where she says. I'm stupid, a stupid little girl with stupid dreams who never <laughs> learns. And it's the thousandth time that I've sat there and thought about and laughed about how the actress says stupid uh-huh. with an H. Uh-huh. It's unbearable. I don't know what it, what the deal is, but somebody needs to teach it. It's stupid. Stupid. The, I, the, I think it's just that British accent. It's not stupid. I'm just stupid, stupid, stupid girl with like, stupid hair yeah. and a stupid world. I just want to give a shout out to the uh, makeup department on this scene because they did they they gave her like the permanent cry eye really super well. Like they did, you know, when somebody's been crying for like you know two days straight and yeah. they get that look under their eye, it's like their eyes are kind of raw right underneath. Yeah, absolutely. Good good job by the makeup team because you def they 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 got that they got that across very well. And to be clear. Sophie Turner can say stupid however she likes. That's true. Yeah. I am, uh, it's just funny to me. So, in this scene, Sansa realizes she's going to have to have sex with Tyrion. Yes. Like, this hadn't crossed her mind. She's like, oh, God. Which just makes it all the worse. And you have to remember, in this story, like, what we get in the form of Peter Dinklage, like, this very handsome little person who's extremely well-spoken and clever, that isn't really what you get in the books in the books he's much more like a hideous deformity yeah yeah this was i i thought about that especially when marjorie is like well i mean he's kind of handsome he's like even with the scar that almost makes him more handsome like rugged yeah yeah she's she's really talking him up like you know and that would have now, been... Now, Marjorie's pretty open-minded. She is. You know, that likes all sorts of different tastes very and flavors. Thinking. Yes, very forward-thinking. So it's, it's that, you know, it's not super surprising that, that she's putting that, out, putting that out there that, you know, she thinks Tyrion is a nice-looking guy. Yeah. But definitely I thought about that. I was like, man, because in the books, you know, he's kind of got like, he's kind of like missing the whole nose. Like, and yeah, pretty much his whole nose. Yeah, yeah. Which is not the case here, obviously. So it just comes off as a little weird. Like, you almost want to be like, well, hey, now... Like what Marjorie did, like he's he's a good looking dude. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. But to and to to for Sansa here though, and we see this kind of you know we see the dichotomy between the two of them. Marjorie is older, more mature, and has been around the block once or twice. Probably she knows her way around. Uh, Marjorie's the town bicycle. <laughs> Everybody's had a ride. <laughs> knows her bit. Her knows her way around the. Uh, the sexual world better than than Sansa does. She does. Cause she's supposed, you know, she's she's a virgin. She's a virgin. She's a she's a maid. She's a maid. She's a maid. Marjorie even goes so far as to say Tyrion may surprise you. From what I've heard, he's quite experienced. So she has a good outlook. She's like, hey, if nothing else, he could please you right. sexually. Right. Yeah. Uh, Sansa's like, how do you know all this? <laughs> Did your mother teach you? <laughs> and her response, Marjorie's response, is so funny. She yeah. says. Yes, sweet girl. My mother taught me. <laughs> like, what? She's so naive yeah, by comparison. Yeah. It's yes. hilarious. Like, the, you know, this is the slutty girl in high school befriending yeah. mm-hmm. the innocent girl who's never even kissed a boy before. Right, right. That's what this is. Who also dated uh, the the local serial killer in the high school <laughs> at one point. They have that in common. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. That's, a, that's a, how they bonded. A tale as old as time. Exactly. Yeah. Tyrion and Bronn in King's Landing are discussing the prospect of, of him, Tyrion, having to marry Sansa as well over drinks. They get into this discussion where 
I guess George R. R. Martin was just like, you know what? I'm going to go on a rampage here. See how many good brawn lines I can get into <laughs> one freaking conversation. <laughs> he starts off like asking, like, what's the youngest you've ever had? How much older than Sansa? He rags Tyrion hard for the fact that Shay, he says, Shay is a whore. You going to marry her? Eh? How did marrying a whore work out the first time? Which, to his point... Great point. Cold burn, but great point. It really does... It, it's just getting a little despicable here how obvious it is that this is a terrible idea. He's just not doing it. He's not acknowledged. Like, everyone around Tyrion can see how stupid this is and how bad of an idea this is and how poorly he's handling this whole situation, except for him. I, yeah, I think he sees it too, though. You know, um, he... I think he thinks he's he's dug himself this hole though now. When he and Shay have the conversation later, like yeah. you can see it on his face. She is swatting down every attempt that he makes to like t- spin this in a good in a positive yeah. way because it's not positive. But it, it you know she should have gotten on the boat and gone across the narrow sea when she had the chance. And Tyrion should have pushed for that a little harder. It's like once they got to King's Landing, this was this yeah. was over. This was a bad situation waiting to unfold. Yeah, for sure, I agree yeah. with that. It's just sad seeing, you know, even a guy like Braun, who's supposed to be base level mm-hmm. type of dude in terms of class, he's like, this is a whore. What, are you going to marry her? What are you doing? He says, uh, you want Shay? Keep her. Wed one and bed the other. And has one of his other great lines, you waste time trying to get people to love you, you'll end up the most popular dead man in town. Yeah, that's that's the line that I, that I took note of, because that's... It's a good line. It you is know? a great line. You gotta you you have to you have to brush the haters off, as they say. Also, you want to fuck that start girl. You just don't want to admit it. Which on this watch through is the first time I've ever kind of considered the truth behind that for Tyrion. I think there is a level of truth to it. De- definitely, definitely. Uh, whether any of us want to admit it or not, there is. And then uh, you pay me to kill people who bother you. The evil notions come free. <laughs> Which is the other great line? Shake them haters off. You got to shake the haters off. Shake them haters off. You can swat them off too. Can you br- you no, I said brush them. Can you brush them off? Brush them off. Swat them off. Shake them is the is the old H Town song though. So we'll go with shake them. Yeah. yeah. Joffrey calls Tywin, his hand of the king, into the throne room to give him a report on the meetings of his small council. He's like posted up solo dolo on the Iron Throne, trying to big time his grandfather. That's the that's the attempt here. Yes. He's trying to put him back in his place yep. because as we know Tywin is t- kind of taking control. Oh yeah. He's pretty much the king as you put it last yes podcast. And this does not go well at all. Uh Joffrey's like, "So if I wanted to attend a small council meeting, I would have to climb all the stairs of the Tower of the Hand." And Tywin climbs the steps to stand at the level of Joffrey on the throne and says, "We could arrange to have you carried." Tywin climbing up, walking up those steps, and he's a tall man. Charles Dance slash Tywin, like oh, yeah. Tywin Lannister, is probably my favorite like little moment of this episode. the 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 look on his, the expression on his face, on his face because, while he does that walk, yeah, because and the pace at which he walks, yes, is perfect. Yeah, it, it's so like it, Joffrey trying to trying to turn this onto Tywin is it's cute to Tywin, you know, like this is. This is a boy trying to play a man's game, and Tywin pones Joffrey here. Like, absolute ownage. No better way of putting it. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, 
and and you can kind of see Joff kind of like squirming in the throne as he suddenly becomes about four feet lower than Tywin is. Yeah, he's he's he sinks, and Tywin could not be more condescending. <laughs> he like well, and he set this Joffrey set this whole situation up where it's like he's the only guy in there. He's sitting on the throne. Like, he couldn't be more directly saying, look, I'm the king, you need to respect me. And Tywin couldn't more directly say, no. Yeah. Like, go fuck yourself, you're my grandchild. Yeah. He will, he agrees to fill in the king and consult the king on all important matters. Dot, 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 whenever necessary. And you can even the- see when he adds whenever <laughs> necessary, Joffrey's face is like, oh, that means never. <laughs> like, he knows. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just, I gotta give a shout to, um... Over the weekend, Drew McGarry, Magary, Magary, McGarry. Yeah, he was he was doing all sorts of retweets about uh, people's best grandpa stories, and you should go check it out because they're really really funny. But this all but this this scene also made me think of that, just like getting totally owned by your by your grandpa by your yeah, hard ass grandpa. There's just not much you can do there. <laughs> yeah. I had a hard ass grandpa, and it's like there is no beating that. Yeah, <laughs> hard ass grandpa beats everything you throw at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. How did I miss that from McGarry? I gotta oh, go they check were out really his feed. Funny. Yeah. The only other thing that comes up here is Joffrey's like, "What's the deal with this Daenerys Targaryen and the dragon situation?" And Tywin has this to say about that: "Curiosities on the far side of the world are no threat to us." So he's still from Tywin here in this scene. I almost took like a look. We have enough fucking problems on our plate yes. to handle here at home. Yeah. We'll worry about that shit later if we even need to. Yeah. That's kind of the the. Kind of the same, God. honestly, the same kind of sentiment that Ned Stark had about it, too. Pretty much, yeah. Like, let's cross that bridge when we get there, you know? Yeah, it just made me wonder. Like, I wonder where Joffrey even got that little bit of information that he had. Good, yeah. He's got, a, like, one bird. Right, right. In ASOS, <laughs> and that's it. That's the only spy he has. We bounce over to a new city, Yunkai, with uh, Danny and her whole squad. Where We're introduced to it by Jorah. He says, Yunkai, the yellow city. Why is it called that? I guess because it's kind of yellow from the the outside. Well, it just made me think of the Yellow King and mm. uh, True Detective, and then I just wanted to watch True Detective for like two <laughs> seconds. Uh, I I gotta I okay, Jorah, he's super super knowledgeable about Yunkai, about everything and about of. everything. Yeah. And I just wanted to take a moment, you know, let's pop over to Barrett's corner right here, and uh, and let me ride for Jorah, my man's Jorah, real quick. Barrett's corner. <laughs> <laughs> now we're in your corner. The, the the how smart of it? How how smart was Jorah when he got exiled? He came over to Essos and he basically just became an encyclopedia of everything going on there. This man knows everything about all of the slave cities, about all the masters and everything that's going. On. This he knows how many slaves are in Yunkai. Yeah, he's been grinding that hard. That was smart. That was smart of him. You know, he 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 hit a low point, but he made himself valuable. Absolutely. No, I mean, you don't really think of it that way, but that's exactly what he did. Yeah. He's been all over Essos, and he is very knowledgeable. He's just been waiting to advise somebody, you know? Very valuable as an advisor. Yes. Barristan tells us uh, that the Yunkish, which, (laughs) come on, what a great people these are. (laughs) The Yunkish. He says the Yunkish train bed slaves, not soldiers, which I have to mean sex slaves, right? Yeah, Mm yeah. And uh, that we can defeat them pretty easily. Jorah reminds Danny that taking this city, Yunkai, will not bring her any closer to Westeros. That it's like, you know, why waste your troops on this situation, basically? 
But Danny says that those 200,000 slaves are reason enough for them to sack Yunkai. So, we get this Yunkish dude who comes in to offer terms of peace. I had a question. Why does why is Misande serving as the announcer for both Danny and the Yunkish guy? I, That's just a courtesy. Yeah, courtesy for the for young, the 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 Yunk. It was just kind of weird. Yeah, the Yunk. <laughs> Got to yeah, get the Yunk this, what they need. But this is the. I feel like this is the first long announcement of of Danny's. It is name, and it's, it's it's the shortest one we might ever get as well. It's the first Misande one for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, it was just weird having her kind of Masande kind of going back and forth as the intermediate, right, like right. announcing both parties. Yeah, I guess Daenerys has kind of uh, announced it before, kind of said it herself. But this is the first like formal introduction yeah. she gets by a representative, just dropping like eight eight different titles for her. Well, she really latches onto it because she big dicks this guy hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the wise masters of Yunkai, as they call themselves, sent her this gift sent a gift of gold to the Silver Queen. And there's a bunch of gold that they bring into the tent, and they're like, hey, look at this. But then they're like, hey, there's a whole bunch more of this back on your ship. And she's like, my ship? They're like, yeah, you can have a ship or as many ships as you need as long as you get the fuck out of here. Yeah, Take your shit, go to Westeros, do the thing that you set out to do, mm-hmm. leave us alone, as he puts it, like, to conduct our affairs in peace. Yeah, yeah. Which... Kind of is a point. A little bit of, like, okay, I get, very much get and understand the moral conundrum that Danny finds herself in, which is, slavery is awful. Yes. You gotta free the slaves. Yeah. But. I think what you're saying is that, all things considered, this is a, this is a good offer. All the ships she needs, they came, dude? They, the youngish came to play here. This is the best offer are, anyone ever makes. Yes, they are offering, you know, they're offering LeBron 50 mil a year here. Yeah. You know? And she's like, go fuck yourself. Yes, not happening. Which is, I mean, you gotta give it to her. She, at this point, anyway, at this point in her in her storyline, right and, right and wrong outrules everything to yeah, Danny. Yeah, Even, the, and that changes a little bit later on. But right now, she's still at that point where she's kind of infallible. Like, they offered her exactly what she wants and yes. needs and she was like no thank you yeah and she, you know i think she's getting she is she is enjoying the power that her dragons are bringing her as well yeah you can see it in her face yeah those dragons are get, uh, up up and they're getting turned she gets a little it's a little cocky even where yeah, you're like yeah. ooh, take yeah it down. take yeah, it down yeah. a notch now girl um getting too comfortable quick question yunkai is where they end up like hanging out for a while right Maybe, I don't want to confirm yes or no because okay. I don't. I I don't remember if there's one other slave city that they go to. Yeah, I can't. I can't quite remember either. I think it is though because I think when we were seeing the city from the outside, actually, yeah, I saw that big like yeah, wind yeah, yeah. that thing. That yeah. If I, that if you saw that thing, then yes. Okay, this yeah, is the yeah. city they end up hanging. Yeah. Um. So Danny in is like no, but you need to free every slave in Yunkai and give them X amount of shit to make up for their time served or whatever, or I'll kill everyone. And this Yunkish man says, we are not Astapur or Karth, we are Yunkai. And I had a question. Why do all the cities in Essos think that they are the greatest city in the world? This is three in a row. <laughs> I'm serious. Like yeah, Every yeah. single one of these cities we run into... 
they believe they are the best city, the strongest, the most beautiful, powerful, richest city ever built. Carr thought that. Young Kai thinks that it. J- the Astapor guys had this air about them that was like, "Ugh, this bitch." That's. Ju- I feel like that's just how oligarchies and. You're probably right. Kind that's just and, how it worked. Yeah, that's you know that's what they. These empires all thought they had the best, most powerful yeah, empire yeah, with God's, you know, right, right, permission to take over the world. And when you're enslaving over half the population, it's like you can just you can get anything done that you want, basically. So you can say build. whatever you want. Yeah. 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 Well, it cracks me up. The Yunkish dude does make reference to these powerful friends that they have. That they have like these powerful allies that, you know, are one of the reasons that sets them apart from the likes of Astapor, Astapor and Karth. Mm-hmm. And Danny asks Jorah, because Jorah knows all. Mm-hmm. She's like, hey, who are these powerful friends that this Yunkish bro is talking about? And Jorah is like, I do not know Khaleesi. Which is... This, he does not know. Dumbfounding, because he knows everything. He usually knows everything, yeah. And she's like, well, find out, bruh. Yeah. Like, all right, shit. Yeah, yeah. But hey, Jorah's got a mission. That's nice. That, yeah, yeah, good Something for Something to do. Mm-hmm. Over in King's Landing, Tyrion gives Shay these two badass gold chains that would make two chains proud. It would, yeah. Like, they, dude, those were good-looking chains. Two chains, he has always worn more than one. Yeah. And uh, he says that... She could buy a ship with these chains. So they were very expensive. Dang. Obviously. Yeah. Two that's chains. That bling. That's yeah. that that's that uh King's Landing bling. It is. And and Shay the funny whore is very upset by this. Very upset with the current arrangement of Tyrion having to marry Sansa. And he's like, Look, I'll buy you a home and clothes and guards and servants and we'll have children and they'll be well provided for and you'll all sleep on Lisa mattresses. And for some reason, she's still upset. And it's like, did you hear what he just offered? It's another good offer in this episode. Lisa mattresses. Yeah, the whole house. The whole it. family and the servants. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets a Lisa Everybody mattress. Everybody gets a Lisa mattress. I just don't get how you could turn that down, which, uh, you know, we're going to make you a good offer now. If you go to lisa.com slash dragon, you get $125 off your Lisa mattress plus a free pillow, which is a $75 value, just for going and using promo code dragon. Lisa.com, L-E-E-S-A.com slash dragon. As an Oysters, Clams, and Cockles listener, you get that 125 bucks off. If you want to get a Sapira mattress, which is the ha- it's the combination of memory foam and spring technology that Lisa makes, using the code dragon will get you $200 off. That's a good deal. It is a good deal. I sleep on one every night. Um, people hit me up pretty regularly now. To ask me, like, hey, man, so what do you really think about these Lisa mattresses? Mm-hmm, As if the mm-hmm. shit that I'm saying on the show is just because they're paying us. Mm-hmm. It's not. Like, it legitimately is the best mattress I've ever had. And the pillow is fantastic, too. Yeah. It's free. The pillow is free when you purchase a Lisa mattress if you go to lisa.com slash dragon. So, yeah, I mean, this isn't like us just hawking some product. It's a fantastic mattress. If you're in the market or you, what is it, every eight years you're supposed to re-up or something like that, but yeah, you might yeah. just have a trash mattress. If you, yeah, even if you just have a, yeah. Don't sleep on some, you know, thin-ass pad that you got from Ikea. You know what I mean? Because for real, eat, well, dude, I had, Treat I had yourself a, better than that. I you had a thick-ass man mattress, and it still, I didn't realize, like, the level of quality of sleep you can get with a real, real luxury mattress like these Lisa mattresses. It's made a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, what what I and and what I thought was so great was there's no you don't have to deal with going into some store dealing with a sales guy, having some big ass truck haul this mattress 
to your place. It gets dropped off right at your door, and then you get the just amazing, unbelievable satisfaction. You want to reference the Ross Boland podcast and talk about a nut moment. Oh, God, yeah. Cutting that thing open and watching it spread out on your bed frame. Nut moment. That's one right there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, What Barrett's referencing, it comes in this box, like straight to your door. So you're not having to put a mattress on top of your car like a Christmas tree or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And when you unbox it, you get to slice the sides of this plastic so the mattress, it slowly, you know, transforms into this full-blown luxury mattress that you're going to sleep on. It's very cool to watch. Yes. Anyway, lisa.com slash dragon. Get that 125 bucks off. It's if, if, you're, if you're thinking to yourself right now, is it time? It's time. It's time. Join the Lisa family. Come on. Anyway, Shay... Goes on to say, I'm your whore, and when you're tired of fucking me, I will be nothing. The divide between him and her, between Tyrion and Shay, it, when you're analyzing this whole situation as it is now, it is, it's not shocking what happens. Yeah, yeah. It was shocking to me, but when you, if you're really thinking about it, if you lay all the cards on the table, if you list out all of the things about their situation, it's not shocking at all what Shay does. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I agree. Because she's not basically what what Tyrion offers her is like the platinum level mistress package. Yeah, and that's not what she's here for. Well, and that's she kind of already had the option for that with anyone. You know what I mean? Like she was a good prostitute. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's not. She doesn't feel that in this situation she's gaining anything from Tyrion anymore. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Well, I, this is yeah, this is kind of the the end of their run. Like he won't actually be able to commit to a real relationship with yeah. her if he's married to somebody else. So even, you know, she was okay with the with the secrecy and the hiding out as long as they were each other's and now they're and now she's going to be the secondary. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean he's She's pissed. And he doesn't do a good job of finessing the situation. Like, for as good as Tyrion is at handling certain situations intelligently, this is not one of them. I mean, I don't know what else he would do, though. I mean, it's like the way he paints it up to Shay in this scene is almost a little bit insulting. Okay. Yeah. Like, he doesn't do a good job of. You know what I mean? It's he, like a joke to him. He's kind of. he's he's not sympathizing with how shitty the situation is. Not enough. at all. Not nearly enough. Yep. Not nearly enough. Oh, uh, anyway, um, by boat, Gendry and Lady Melisandre, the Red Woman, are also arriving in King's Landing. Where Gendry jokes, after all the running and fighting, here I am back where I started, which has to be frustrating. But Melisandre informs Gendry that he is born of King's blood. That the Red Keep is his father's house, as she keeps referring to it. And that he is the bastard of Robert of the House Baratheon. Or as she says it, Baratheon, or whatever the f- fuck she says. Well, House Baratheon. House Just Baratheon. Just very, very formally. Yeah. 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 Um, she puts some stank on it. She does. She says, <laughs> or some respect, or some stank, whatever. Why do you think the gold cloaks wanted you? There is power in a king's blood. And we have no idea what she's talking about here, but nah. this is, this is, uh, she lays it on so thick. To where it's almost annoying that Gendry's like, why do you keep saying, like, he doesn't ask her, why do you keep saying that? Yeah, yeah. Like, what's the deal? What do you well, mean? Well, because in this scene right here, and if you're Gendry, this is making it sound like there might be something good in store. Yeah. For our boy. Which I would want to know. Yeah. I'd be like, so what's up? We're gonna, am I going to rule? Yeah. Like, we're going we're gonna to have sex? <laughs> like, I mean, you got to ask something. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but it's not, it's, I, that's why I think he's, he's a little, he's just like, oh, damn. 
He's just kind of taken aback by the whole situation. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe he caught a maybe he caught a caught a break here. Finally. Yeah, but no. On the road with Arya and the Brotherhood without banners, Arya is very upset still at Beric and Thoros for selling Gendry. And uh we kind of get, we get some more depth to this whole religious situation with the Brotherhood. Beric says the Red God is the one true God. You've seen his power, what he commands, we obey. Arya says her one true God is death. Which is really charming. Very She's a goth child. <laughs> but I gotta but yeah, I gotta say, death is basically the god of the house in the black of the house of black and white. True enough. Yeah. That really works out well for her in terms of uh Yeah. She's kind of already on on that death. on that yeah. plane. Because that's, that's essentially what that's essentially what uh Jacques is preaching over there too. Yeah. You know? The God, the he he says his the one true God like gives them a name. They take it. They're death. They're they're yeah. They're death takers. They point. are the Grim Reaper. Basically. That's a good point. Arya is so upset. Well, actually, first, uh, Angai, who you were right, that Angai. is his name. Angai. Angai. He returns to the cave after scouting, I guess, and says he spotted a Lannister raiding party no more than a day's ride south. So they're not going to take Arya home yet. To the Riverlands or wherever the hell they were going, they're they're going lion hunting. Yes, she's pissed. She wants to go home, so she makes a run for it. And and guys like supposed to chase her out. He does a terrible job of chasing her, or she's just that quick and nimble already. Mm-hmm. I don't really know, mm-hmm. but regardless, she gets snagged in the woods by who else? The Hound. What's He's he, just lurking behind a tree. What's he doing out there? I guess when they let him go, he was like, you know what? Maybe I should just kick back and see if there's an advantageous situation I could take advantage of. With these nitwits, because I don't really have anywhere else to go. Well, that was very prescient of him. I mean, good job, hound. I guess. No shit. He's like, kick all you want, kick all you like, wolf girl. It won't do you no good. What? What do you? But okay. I mean, at this point, we don't know. But what? Are, what are? What are his intentions again here? Now he wants the reward. I believe. Okay. Because okay. remember, he ends up trying to take her to the Vale to get her aunt to pay for her. That's right. And they get to the Vale, and the guys at the Vale are like, "Oh, Lady Liza's dead." That's and Arya starts cracking up. <laughs> And the hound just has that stone. Face. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We bounce over to Heron Hall, where Jamie visits Brienne before leaving, because she's going back to King's Landing. He tells Brienne she's going to remain behind with Locke when Lord Bolton leaves for Edmure Tully's wedding at the Twins tomorrow. Very soon. Jamie swears to return the Stark girls to their mother on behalf of Brienne, so he's kind of carrying on her oath that yep. she took. She calls him Sir Jamie. She says goodbye, Sir Jamie. Not Kingslayer mm-hmm. or Oathbreaker or any of that shit. But he doesn't respond, which I found to be a little odd. Mm. She gave him this warm, like, she gave him the goodbye he deserved, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then he didn't give her one, which, thank God, he, you know, makes it up to her because right. that was bullshit. He should have said something. As, especially after collapsing into her arms and being like, Jamie, <laughs> it's Jamie. <laughs> And before the curtain closed. The Kingslayer. Yeah. Help the Kingslayer. Anywho. Um He does drop a Lannister's send their regards as he heads out. Yeah, this shit's crazy. He's And there's like, no way he knows anything. I don't know. Bruce Bolton is still worried to to frame it up, Bruce Bolton is still worried about Tywin's anger from Jamie's loss of a hand. And Jamie tells him, like, tell Rob Stark, I'm sorry. I couldn't make his uncle's wedding. The Lannisters send their regards. And I kind of... How would he know? 
Bruce would have had to have told him off screen. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But it also, I'm with you. It could be coincidence. It could totally be coincidence. But Ruse does use the line. Bruce tells yeah, right. Right. Rob the Lannisters send their regards. Yes, he does. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting then. Which that's the only thing that kind of lends itself to the Jamie knowing camp. Right, right. And if he did know, this is still how he would act. Jamie wouldn't be like, hey, good luck out there right. with this whole no, situation. No, totally, totally. But he also just told Brienne that he'd keep the promise and get the Stark girls back to their mom. True. Yeah. Which is conflicting because then it's like, okay, so he would have to know there are no Stark girls with Rob, and how would he know that? I'm gonna go with this. Or, is the, well, he, or what if he knows? Then then he knows that Cat is gonna get got too. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go with coincidence. I think it's a coincidence. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Uh, Locke on on Jamie's way out. Locke says to him, "Don't you worry about your friend. We'll take good care of her," which does not bode well for Brienne at all. Speaking of uh, not boating well, at an undisclosed location, Theon is freed by two babes named Miranda and Violet. Micah, cue up Buckcherry's crazy bitch. Yeah, that can we play? Let Buck it Cherry? play for ten seconds. That would be so fantastic. I don't if think they we can played. play it, but I could sing okay, it. Okay, and, like. no, and, that, and that's and that's and that's. We, we can edit that out. Uh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. We needed it to set the scene. So, so that's that's trash. Miranda because she is she's Ramsey's like uh Patrick crazy lover. Down ass bitch. Yeah. You know what they call him in South Park? Yes. That's uh, your your bottom bitch. Bottom bitch. She's Ramsey's bottom bitch. So these two chicks bring Theon out and I out of every scene we see with this kid, this is the most brutal. Far by far to me. Like mm-hmm. the level of teasing that goes on here. And the fact that he maintains suspicion at the at the beginning is so sad to watch unfold. Uh, he's like, you know, who sent you or he sent you or whatever. And they're like, we sent ourselves, Lord Greyjoy. We heard so much about it, referencing his penis. Uh, Violet undresses Miranda. Miranda starts grinding on Theon. Suddenly they're boning. Violet starts getting naked. Theon is like, what the fuck? Got a couple of hard bodies here too, man. Yeah, they're like fighting over his dick, like literally fighting over it. Looking real looking real good. Couple it, of snacks here. And in th- this he's in no position to turn down sex from these two. Yeah, no, he is in a position though. You after everything that's been going on, what what what? You got to just curl up in the fetal position and start crying and be like, please get off me. Please get off me. Please get off me. Or make a run for it. Yeah, would probably be the wise. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I look they they put him in a position where he didn't really have that that the opportunity to yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. I just it you know like before you knew it, he's inside of her. You know. Well, they weren't actually having sex though. I think they were. No, no, she's just like dry humping him. See, but then I think they were having sex, right? I think it like we they don't really show any type of transition. But I took it hmm. as to like this was full blown penetration. I mean, here. she's kind of acting like like right. she's getting off, but yeah. I I kind of thought she was just kind of like grinding on him. You think? I mean, who? I, it doesn't matter. I took it as full blown coitus. But anyway, as uh, as she's grinding on him, whether he's inside of her or not, the horn blows again, and in comes Ramsey Bolton. He says, "Well, should we see this cock everyone's always going on about?" Uh, everyone knows you love girls. Bet you always thought they loved you back. Your famous cock must be very precious to you. Would you say it's your most precious part? And then Ramsey 
in what has to be one of the most famous scenes in the history of the show, he removes Theon's penis mm. off screen, thankfully. Yes. He has two guys hold him down, chops his cock right off. Terrible, terrible. Not not what you want. Nope. As a man with a penis, you don't want it cut off by a man who's been torturing you for an extended period of time. That's a bad way for it to go. Right after being teased by two smoking <laughs> hot dimes who are butt ass. You know what I mean? That's not what you want. Very disturbing. South of the wall with the wildlings again. They see some uh, structure. And Egret says, is that a palace? John says, it's a windmill. Egret responds, windmill. Who built it? Some king? John says, Winterfell has three has towers three times that size. And then we get more of Egret's accent. She's like, I'm Jon Snow and I'm from Winterfell. My daddy was a fancy lord and I lived in a tower that touched the clouds. But my favorite Egret line in the history of Egret. Oh, a spider. Save me, Jon <laughs> Snow. My dress is made of the purest silk from tra la 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 day. <laughs> and then she like falls back into his arms. Dude, their back and forth, their chemistry is so good here. I think they were already boning in real I life. miss her so much. Yeah. I really do. But yeah, he tells Ygritte that the wildlings have attempted this six times they've tried to invade the South. Shit gets real. It gets real all of a sudden. Yeah, he's like... He's They're like, having like, this nice moment, and then the reality sets in for a minute here. Well, because I think it, John kind of comes to the, the a header where it's like, look... We're having fun here, but I have real feelings for you, and we need to be real about this shit. We are all going to die mm -hmm. if we attack Castle Black. And we didn't know about these six prior instances of this them attempting this, but John points out that the seventh will be the exact same as the other six, that they don't have the discipline, the training, they don't know how to fight together. He says, if you attack the wall, you'll die. All of you, Egret says, all of us. And then kind of takes it back to romance mode with the you're mine as I'm yours, and if we die, we die, but first we'll live. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is very Bravehearty, but it's like... Well, and, and, and I guess up, up north of the wall, they like to say, they like to say that, the, the I am yours and you are mine. That shit gets said like uh, south of the wall all the time too. That's people okay, are just dropping that all over this episode in particular. Well, and, and, and to, you know, in, in so many words, it also gets set on the uh, across the narrow sea which brings me to an interesting point that I that I, I I hadn't quite considered here but I would say that Egret and Caldrogo are like very very parallel that's a good point like I never thought about that like so John and Danny get together now and they've each kind of I've always kind of thought like oh well what about Caldrogo like that was kind of her one true her love. one true love but Really, what it was was like her first love. Yeah, and there's and you know there's really not nothing quite like that, and this that's what John has with 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 Egret, Egret too. Yeah. Like they both, so he and Danny both had like these really like passionate these great first great loves. first loves yeah. that they both you know and you know I'd never drawn that up that parallel before, um, and it's a good point. Yeah, they they both have had that one great love prior to meeting each other. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yep. On the road to the wall with Bran, Asha gets all upset that Jojen is filling Bran's head with like black magic, talking about visions and magic and such. And Jojen tells Asha they're not going to Castle Black because Jon Snow isn't there, as he's told her already. He says Bran needs to find the Raven beyond the Wall. 
Brand goes on to try to explain to Asha, like, look, I don't have my legs anymore. This is what I have now. These visions are all I have. Chasing this raven is all I have. And Asha is super pissed that Jojen is teaching Bran that all these things happen for a reason because the gods have big plans for him, which I can kind of see the frustration with that for her because it's like, what about me? Mm -hmm. The gods don't have big plans for me. You're like, what about all the other people I've known in my life that have just gotten shit on? Yeah, yeah. The gods didn't have big plans for them, but they have big plans for this boy. Um, Asha goes on to tell them about the man she had once, Bruni. Gives us the old Bruni story. She says, I was his and he was mine. <laughs> yes, yes, she does. And uh, it turns out Bruni came back as a white and attacked Asha. She says his skin was pale like a dead man's, his eyes bluer than clear sky, and Asha had to kill him. She put a knife deep through his heart, which he didn't even seem to notice, and then she had to burn down their hut with him inside of it. R.I.P. Bruni. Gone too soon, but not forgotten. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I get Osha's frustration here, and, and she's obviously recalling a, a, a memory that, that stings, but also it, it seems a little like bit like an overreaction. I mean, what, you know, it seems like maybe she'd want a little bit more of, yeah, I, of a purpose, you know? So if if, if Bran is, oh, is, sure. is something special, then like, you There's know? There's your purpose. Otherwise, what else should she have? I think it's just frustration boiling over, though, yeah. because she's yeah. so out of the loop. Right, right, right. And Jojen's like spitting all this knowledge and giving Bran all this backstory and this purpose. And, and she, she's kind of like, Ayo. Right, and she saved them. She, and she's the adult. Right, and and she got them out of out of. Winterfell. A, a dangerous situation yeah. and like I guess just kind of feels overlooked and neglected now. Well, and also you got to imagine traveling on the road with three children and a essentially mute giant. Yes. Uh would become pretty <laughs> tiresome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh anyway, we bounce over to Jamie who's now on the road away from Harrenhal. And Kyburn is still helping Jamie heal his hand. Jamie asks Kyburn how he lost his chain. Kyron says, Jamie makes a joke about little boys, like mm -hmm. bang one too many little boys or something like that. And, and Kyron's like, no, nah, that wasn't my affliction. Curiosity was. And he performed experiments on dying men. And Jamie says, with their permission? And his response is, my studies have given me insight to save many lives. So Kyron was going full mad scientist, as we already knew. But this is just the scene where it's kind of confirmed. Yep. He lost his chain because he was performing unsanctioned experiments on di on on people stricken with on sick people. Yeah, yeah, and and let's be real. If he's only admitting to the fact that he uh, did did experiments and studies on dying men, mm -hmm. he probably did them on men who weren't dying as well. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, he probably. was uh, operating in a very gray area there. He was violating whatever the Hippocratic oath is sure, that you take sure. in yep. in Westeros. Yeah. Uh, Kyburn tells Jamie that Lord Tarth, so Brienne's father, offered 300 gold dragons for Brienne, but that Locke wouldn't take the deal because he was convinced Lord Tarth owned all the sapphire mines in <laughs> Westeros. So that really fucking backfired. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it did save her, though. It, yeah, to, to be fair, she would be dead maybe already, or at the very or, least raped. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. But Jamie realizes, like, oh my god, because... Kyburn goes on to say she'll be their entertainment tonight. And Jamie's like, oh my God, I have to go back. I made a note. He has these four scars on all the corners of his face, basically, like one on each cheek, mm -hmm. one on each side of his forehead. <clears throat> and thank God those go go away. Yeah, yeah. Because it's annoying. Uh. Like, it's almost like too much grunge. Right, right. But uh, 
Jamie has to convince the guy that is the head of his little, you know, Bolton group here that's supposed to be returning him to King's Landing to return to Harrenhal by saying, when he sees his father, you can tell him one of two things. This man chopped off my hand or this man saved my life, which is a good play by Jamie, again. Then we get Jamie rolling back into Harrenhal where the bear and the maiden fair is being sung and Brienne is down in a pit, literally fighting with a giant bear armed with nothing but a wooden sword wearing a dress. (laughs) Perilous. What a scene. Dude. So, they used a real bear in parts of this, which okay. is nuts. Mm-hmm. But what Jamie points out immediately upon rolling up, he's like, you gave her a wooden sword? And Locke's response is, we've only got one bear. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> the, the, I guess the level of decision making that Locke has on a day-to-day basis is just kind of humorous. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, that's a stupid decision to have to make. To preserve the bear by arming the woman you're putting in the bear pit with a wooden sword. Uh, he also tells Jamie, go buy yourself a golden hand and fuck yourself with it. <laughs> Which is funny. And he does get a golden hand. He does get a golden hand. Jamie ends up jumping into this pit to save Brienne's life. And the man that brought him back puts a bolt in the side of the bear. Locke is like, what the fuck are you doing to my bear? Again, that's his only bear. Uh, Jamie hoists Brienne up with his one good arm out of the pit, and then it's like, oh shit, now what? And he like jumps, watching him cling to the side of the wall with one good hand was, I know how the scene ends. (laughs) And I was still on my couch, like curled up on Sunday night, like with just pure anxiety coursing through my veins. Yeah, yeah. I I liked, you know what, I thought it was a good, it's a good, it was a good line and a good reminder when Locke tells Jamie that though, that it's like, you know, you lords, you high lords, with all your, you're always offering your stupid money and gold. Right. It's like, that's not, it doesn't fix every single problem. It's not all that these people care about. You can't, you can't just buy your way out of every single situation you get, you get into. Yeah, Locke has a little bit of like a Joker in the Dark Knight situation going on here where it's like, at some point, it, it totally depends on what you value. Yeah. Well, if you don't value money, that isn't a good bargaining chip. Yeah. And for lack of a better And term. It, you know, you can even you can even relate that to what happens with the phrase. It's and yeah. and Rob saying, "Well, this is the best that he's that the phrase have ever got. This is the best marriage the phrase have ever gotten anyway. Like this is a great deal for them." But that's not what mattered to Walter Frey. Is the disrespect, you know? Like yeah. that's it's people placing value on different things and not realizing that their value might not be the same as yeah. somebody else's and I thought it was a great line from Locke. And all in all, Locke is a good character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a villain, name a, a villain with a smaller role as Locke that has been as effective as he has. You yeah. can't because yeah. he was, he's been very, very, very good. That dude's a great actor. Brienne ends up pulling Jamie up out of the pit in the nick of time. All the Bolton men boo. Locke <laughs> says the bitch stays. Jamie says we're taking her to King's Landing unless you kill me. Locke ends up, you know reholstering his sword and uh, Jamie says well we must be on our way sorry about the sapphires which I look I get it he's trying to deliver like one sort of like quippy line Mm -hmm. without totally telling Locke to suck his dick or anything (laughs) because then Locke will just freak out and kill him or something but this was it just kind of landed flat for me Mm -hmm. yeah especially because I, I don't know. It just, for whatever reason, I didn't really like that ending line. But the look on Brienne's face, I did love. She's like, oh my God, he came back for me. Like, she's in awe of what he just did for her. 
And uh, this, I have to say, does make up for the piss-poor goodbye that he gave her earlier. Yes, yes. And the episode ends on that, with Jamie having saved Brienne from the bear pit. So they are reunited after a very short time apart. Uh, all in all, another great one. Solid up. Yeah, I mean, they just keep coming. Now, tell me what this song is that ends it. It's The Reigns of Castamere, but is it like a remix that also includes The Bear and the Maiden Fair? I'll be honest, I did not listen. So okay. uh, this is on me. Well, the the end of the episode, we get, I know we get The Reigns of Castamere in there, but it's like, it kind of sounds like the, the Bear and the Maiden Fair at the beginning, and then, on your, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, no, this is Reigns of Castamere. So I didn't know if it was like a remix or if they just kind of like one blood into the other, or if they're even, they're not sung to the same tune, are no. they? No, I don't know. That's a good question because mm. you never know. Well, like, there's some old psalms and church songs you sure, that sure. go to the same tune. You yep, never know. Yep. Isn't our national anthem to the same tune as some other British song or something? Mm. Or there's some song we have that their national anthem is to the tune of or something. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. There's some. Yeah, there's something like that. Yeah. Anywho, yeah, I'll go back and listen though. I didn't. I didn't catch that. But we'll be back next Monday to talk about the eighth episode of season three. We're eight deep. Yep, yep. This one's called Second Sons, written by Benioff and Weiss, and directed again by our girl, Michelle McLaren. I gotta tell you, off the top, I I don't remember a lot about this next one. I know why it's called Second Sons, mm-hmm. and I know who we're introduced to oh, yeah. um, by that name, yep. but that's all I remember. I don't, I don't really have shit else, so I'm excited. You can follow this podcast on Instagram, at Oysters, Clams, Cockles. And on Twitter, at Clams and Cockles. You can like us on Facebook.com slash Oysters, Clams, Cockles. I'm Ross Bolin. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, at WR Bolin. Barrett, where can you be followed by all the good people that are listening? Uh, find me on Instagram and Twitter, at Barrett Dudley. Two R's, two T's. Again, the hotline number is 866-43-CLAMS, and we will be back next Tuesday with... Well, we'll be back next Monday with our normal episode for Second Sons, but then we'll Tuesday we'll drop the hotline call-only episode. So call 866-43-CLAMS, leave your questions, your corrections, your theories, whatever, and we'll work them into the show as we can. Check out grandexshop.com slash OCC for oysters, clams, and cockles-themed shirts, Game of Thrones-themed shirts... Also support this podcast by checking out Man Outfitters and using the code SUMAI, S-U-M-A-I, at checkout to get 15% off your entire order of $150 or more. If you go to manoutfitters.com right now, at the very top, there's a huge banner that says Spring 18 New Arrivals, and you can see a ton of new product that came in literally today on manoutfitters.com, including Caden, how is this pronounced? Caden? Caden. Caden Swim Trunks. They're fantastic. Rowdy Gentleman Swim Trunks. Patagonia tanks and t-shirts. We've got a bunch of new CVs, shoes, hats from Fayette Chill and Presca Muerta. Fayette Chill, new brand. New brand up on him. Yeah, very good new brand. Uh, Travis Matthew, golf hats, etc. Look, we've got this weather. We're sitting outside at Michael's Pool House right now. This calls for, for swimsuits, t-shirts, and hats. This is hot. This is hot. It's oh, good yeah. shit. Spring is here, my man. You got to load up. You got to load up on spring and summer wear, so go to manoutfitters.com and check out the offering we have for you there. We've also got Schwood sunglasses, as Barrett has mentioned, one of his favorite products. I'm wearing a pair now. Vineyard Vines, t-shirts, and polos. You can use that code, SUMAI, S-U-M-A-I. Invoke SUMAI at checkout for 15% off your entire order. You can also go check out rowdygentleman.com if you want to further support Grand X and the podcast. But again, RowdyGentleman.com products available on Man Outfitters. So if you want to get multiple brands shopping going on, 
do that on manoutfitters.com. Check out the Ross Boland podcast on iTunes. We put out three new episodes last week. Uh, the show is hosted by me and Micah. We talk about pretty much anything and everything we want to talk about that's not Game of Thrones. Uh, it's a it's comedy. It's humor. Go give pick one episode out of the twenty three that are available. Just pick one and play it. And if you like it, come back for more. If you don't, no big deal. Uh, and that's it. As I said, two episodes coming next week. We'll be in the new podcast studio. Barrett and I are very pumped. No longer will we be will we be trekking out to the pool house, sweating it out out here, sweating like a pack mule. Is that a saying? What is a pack mule? Uh, who knows? We're done. It's a mule that you, you pack up with your bags and then you, you ride it. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what they used to call me in prison. <laughs> All right, we're out of here.